Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's the author of the book, The Unbreakable Spirit of the Unbreakable Man. It's Nicholas Steele. How are you doing today, Nicholas? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I'm excited to learn about your rise to the challenge. First thing we like to do with all of our guests is start from right from the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Okay, well, I'm originally from London. Um, I've got a brother. My father was a self-made man, came from nothing um, and was very self-driven and motivated, uh, became a multi-millionaire um, over, I don't know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years. But he brought us up um, not actually giving us anything and telling us we had, to work, we had to work for everything. So we had installed in us from a young age that if you want anything in life, you have to work for it. So I had to work to get my first set of golf clubs, my own car. I never had anything given to us apart from that. So um, that helped me later on in life to understand that nothing's free in life. And if you want anything in life, it's down to you. Nobody else, you've got to go for it and work for it. So it, it stood me in good stead for everything that I face later on in life. Do you appreciate growing up and having to work for everything compared to nowadays or even before where you see kids that have families that have quite a bit of money where they're given everything and they don't appreciate the value of what they've earned? Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think a lot of kids now, it's just they, they feel very entitled and everything's given to them. And uh, I get really annoyed when people say, um, oh, you're lucky. You know, you've got this and you should give that to me and, and uh, we want free stuff. Well, someone's got to pay for it somewhere. Mm -hmm. And the people that are paying for it are people that have to get off their backside and make a decision to work for it. Um, so I think, no, I think everyone, everyone has the ability, well, not everybody, the majority of people have the ability to work to push themselves, to strive for things. And if you want things, you have to go for it. It's down to you. And nobody else is going to help you. Not the government, nobody. It's all down to yourself. If you want something in life, you've got to go for it and have the attitude that you can and you will do it. Did you have any motivations or inspirations going growing up? Um, I used to play golf, so I was very competitive um, at golf. Used to love uh, winning, improving. Then I got into bodybuilding and I used to love uh, lifting heavier and bigger weights and the people I was around, they were bigger than me and stronger than me. So I tried getting as big and strong with them. So each week it was setting myself a new goal and target on how much I could lift, bench press, squat, etc. In my career, it was the same thing. So I started off right at the bottom and I decided, no, I want to be get to the right to the top. How am I going to get there? So I would set myself goals and I would look at the successful people in the company and I would go and speak to them and ask them what they had done to get to positions where they were. Um, and then I set myself a goal and plans and objectives on how I would get there and, and everything I set, I achieved. Um, but it was actually looking towards other people to see that that's the type of person I would like to be. That's, you know, what, what type of person am I? What type of person would I like to aspire to? Even in the sports world, I looked at some of the top golfers at the time, Sebi Ballesteros, he was my golfing hero. I looked at explorers like Serena Fines, probably one of the greatest explorers the world's ever known. Um, looked at people like that to see how they overcame any challenges they faced um, and how did they become so successful? How did they become the number one? And I used to read everything about them and understand um, uh, 
their mind, if you like, their, their attitude, um, that anything is possible. And that's what I was sort of instilled with growing up. You know, um, if you want something in life, you've got to work for it. You've got to aim high. Um, don't let anybody tell you you never can achieve anything. You always can. And then you look at these people that have achieved, become the top in their profession or sport, and they've got the same mindset. It's, it's, they always, always strive to be the best they can and improve. And you can always ask other people and look at other people to ask, how did you get there? And I think that's really important. Never, never be afraid to ask because people are more than willing to tell you and, and give advice. That's what, I, that's what I've always found. I think there's a lot of people that are afraid to ask. Like they kind of want to be able to figure everything out on themselves. And I used to be that type of person, but kind of I'm a person that's always trying to grow and learn more. So I knew that I had to ask the people that I did, that things I didn't know about. And that just made me become a better person. And I think it's kind of like it goes with your mind and kind of you kind of feel defeated, like, oh, I have to ask someone. But nowadays it's like I will ask as many questions as I need to get the answer that I need and the information that I want because I'm not afraid to go out there and try to go get it. So I think a lot of people can learn that asking is a great tool and I think people just are afraid to do it. I agree completely. Yeah, never, never be afraid. Always just go for it. What's the worst that can happen if you ask, if you ask someone for advice, what's the worst they can do? Just say no. Correct. Well, it's not going to hurt you, is it? It's not going to be, it's not going to destroy your life. Um, so, and if they say yes, well, fantastic. It, it, this, you know, just, just go for it. We had an episode on the show about rejection and the power of it. How if someone says no, it's not a like a defeat in a way. It's kind of like a growing experience where, okay, if that person says no, if they don't know the answer, you find someone else that knows the answer. There's so many people out there in this world. And that also leads to the power of networking and where you can find so many people that are in that industry. Well, I, I also, um, I started life off as a salesperson. And I actually had to walk around industrial estates, around factories, knocking on doors, trying to get names of managing directors and sales directors. And you'd have on the door a lot of the time, if you're a salesperson, do not push this bell. Mm -hmm. So it was rejection all the time. And then if you did get it, if you did get someone's name, it was no, no, no. So you'd have to make maybe 50 phone calls just to get one appointment. So in a day, I might be told no a hundred times. That's rejection. But then you just get that one and off you go. So you've just got to learn for if you know, you might get told no a hundred times, but then all of a sudden that one, yes, that's fantastic. You feel incredible. And if you then get the deal, so what if you've lost a, a you know, a hundred no's and one call gets you the deal. Um, so yeah, you've just got to keep fighting through the rejection. They're not rejecting. They're not actually rejecting you as a person. Mm-hmm. That's what you need to need to remember. They're not rejecting you as a person. They don't know you. So you have to separate the two. You have to separate yourself as the person and the job maybe that you're doing and why people keep saying no to you. Um, that's what I had to do at that time. And I learned that very quickly. And then being told no didn't, didn't bother me in the slightest. But I think as we grow up as human beings throughout our lives, we're always told, you always face every day a rejection. You always get a no somewhere. Um, I mean, how many times do we get phone calls from telemarketers and, you know, I feel sorry for them because I say no. <laughs> um, but again, they've, they've got a job to do and I'm not rejecting them as a person. It's just I don't need their service and I just say no. 
So it's, it's a numbers game. Um, so yeah, I think it's really good advice. Just don't worry about it. Just keep going for it. Keep striving, put, keep pushing forward until you break through and then you can achieve anything. What's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself playing golf and being in the bodybuilding? Um, well, what I learned from that is when moving on to my later experiences where I was actually paralyzed, um, I actually used the golf and the bodybuilding to help me overcome being paralyzed because obviously um, I was very competitive at golf. Um, I was a competitive bodybuilder um, and I always strive to improve my golf game and being a bodybuilder and, and, and make and, and just get to the top of or get as good as I could get. Let's put it that way. Um, and then I used all of that knowledge that I gained to then overcome being paralyzed later on. Um, and for me, that was incredibly powerful because it was all mindset. And I found that throughout life, um, everything is about mindset. The most powerful tool we have is our brain. That's the most powerful tool on the planet. That's it. If you can tap in and harness the power of your mind and you can change your mindset and you can put negativity to one side and you can remove all those people that say no, that is so powerful. And that, that is incredibly powerful. Just doing those tiny little things and moving forward and setting yourself achieve goals and achievements, just little milestones and then keep achieving them every day. But make sure you do something every day to keep moving forward and using the power of your mind to keep improving it. Um, I found that over the, the years that I had to use the power of my mind to learn to walk again, that my brain became really sharp and focused and it taught me how lazy it had become because with computers and internet, we don't use our brains anymore. Mm -hmm. It's amazing when you're lying in a hospital bed without a computer, phone or anything, all of a sudden you've got to use it again um, you know, to, to, to move your life forward, to, to, get, to get moving again in my case. And then I, I came forward and just realized, yeah, but to, to be honest, computers aren't doing us internet they aren't doing us a lot of good to be honest our brains we're not using them anymore um and if you're watching the tv all the time as well and listening to doom and gloom on the news and all the nonsense that's, that's going on you're being dumbed down all the time you're you're open to your subconscious is constantly being told by the media and by television programs that are on um that everything's bad 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 and in your subconscious all your brain hears is everything's bad, everything's doom, everything's gloom. And immediately, subconsciously, your brain, you're, you're, as a person, you're doom and gloom. That's what, your pro, that's, that's what your brain in this world, today's world, is being programmed. If you go on social media, go on social media, people go on Facebook, you look at it, um, it so many people are arguing and hate one another and putting you know, views and stuff up there. And the world is just hate. It's hate and anger and bitterness. And that's all in your brain. That hits you all day long. So you really need to stop what, what I found um, when I was in hospital and I didn't have the, the internet and the computers and, and everything else. I actually sort of, if you like, I reprogrammed my brain. And that's what I've kept using to move forward now in my life today, even coming on from where I was with my accident. But sometimes I fall back into it. Sometimes you look at the news or you're on the social media and I actually just have to turn myself off from it and just say, no, this is dumbing my brain down. I can't, I can't use this. 
And I do realise that if maybe if I spend a little bit too long on social media, for example, or I've watched a bit of news, the next day I'm not as effective as I was before. And then I noticed that if I don't do any, don't, if I don't look at Facebook at all, social media news, two or three days later, I'm performing again. So it's amazing. If you actually just turned off, if you, if you just for a week just said, that's it, there's no more social media, no more news, and you actually then had to think about doing something and you set yourself an objective, you will be much more, of, you, you, you'll see the performance of you as a person just increase a hundred times. It's amazing because that's all we're doing. Negativity is bombarding us every single day. And what you need to do is fill your, your mind with positivity. That's what you have to do. Happiness, positivity, um, make your mind really strong. And that comes back to your question with the golf and the bodybuilding, because when I was golfing and bodybuilding, my mind was powerful and strong. My body was powerful and strong. We didn't actually back then have the internet, as you can imagine, <laughs> coming back a while. So, so all the time, um, I was always pushing my brain. My brain was always pushing at work. How can I improve? How can I get better? I didn't have a computer to go and do something. I had to research it myself in a library. You know, so it's things like that to use my brain. Um, and, uh, and that's what stood me in good stead moving forward. So I have found that I stay away from as much as possible now, anything, news, social media, news, all those awful reality TV programs where you wouldn't even want those, peop those people that are on it, you wouldn't want them to be your next door neighbors. Every, anything that's about hate, anything that's with anger, anything that's gonna pull me down, fill me with, with negativity. I stay away from it. And if I feel myself being pulled into it, I have to take a deep breath, stop and move away from it and move forward. And that's, and that's dealing with everyday challenges that you face as well. Um, because we all have challenges every, each and every day. And I've got challenges going on at the moment. And sometimes I feel myself being pulled backwards going, oh, not again. And I have to take a deep breath and say, right, how do I now move forward and find a solution and get through this? Um, so, so yeah, so where I come from is basically it's the power of the mind. Anything is possible if you learn to harness the power of the mind. And if you just make a few changes in your life, you can actually achieve and overcome anything. And that's what I keep proving to myself every single day um, and every month and every year as I keep moving forward from my accident and keep growing. Um, and that, that's, what I, that's what I've told my son. Um, and that's why he's, he's now thriving in his life when I was, when I was paralyzed and I said to him, I'd walk again, I'd learn to walk again. And all the doctors told him that I'd never move or walk again. And I promised that I did, that I would, and I did, and I recovered. And then, um, one day we were having a, a conversation in, in a swimming pool and he said to me, dad, I can't, I, it was something he said, I can't do this. And I said, there's no such word as you can't, I, I don't want to ever, ever hear that again. If I'd have said that, I'd still be lying on my back, paralyzed from the neck down. I said, so I never, ever want to hear that from you again. I only want you to say, if you, if, you, know, if you need help, ask for help. Research it yourself, find a solution. But there's no such thing as I can't. And since that day, he's absolutely just thrived and boomed and just become an incredible man now. He's actually training to be a doctor. Um, so, yeah, and, and he was in a foreign country, didn't speak the language. Um, you know, so he had to he had to move forward. And as I said to him, there's no such word as I can't. You're going to have to learn the language. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. And he's done it all. He now speaks four languages, training to be a doctor, 
because I pushed him just just from saying that there's no such thing as I can't as we just discussed Alex ask for help yeah that's it just ask for help there's other people around you that will help you and and help give you solutions and then you move forward no such thing as I can't so you know I'm, I'm useless with computers my technology skills are, are very limited so if I need help I ask someone who's an expert in it and and I then get them to teach me and then I can do it myself and move forward um, so it's always about asking, always finding somebody that, that can help you if you if you need the help just to move forward. Um, and I get really excited about it because I, I get really annoyed that kids, when you were coming back to about kids are giving everything today, I don't think a lot of kids are actually told that they can achieve anything in their lives. I think a lot of them are always kept down and pushed down. Um, and I don't, because we're all different, I'm not very academic, but I'm very good at other things. And I think a lot of kids... They aren't, they, their skill sets aren't harnessed. So if they don't meet a certain criteria, they're neglected. They're not any good. But, but everyone's different. Everyone has different skill sets. So if, you could, if, you, if, we could find, if we could find kids now and say to them, yeah, well, you're really academic. This would be a great career for you if you want to do it. And here's all the help and everything. And here's the goals. And this is what you can achieve. Let's go for it. And then you find the other kids and go, Okay, we are not as academic as, as they are, but you're fantastic at this and you're going to be absolutely amazing if you apply your, your skills to this and let's push you forward so you can do that and you will become an amazing, incredible person having a fantastic life. I never hear people do that with kids. I just don't hear it. And I, th I think that would be a massive change if we could do that and really push kids from an early age and say to them, you can achieve anything. But we have to accept we are all different. It's, it's, it's as simple as that and just find the different skill sets for everybody. I think even when we talked about the whole kids growing up and thinking that, oh, well, money is just going to solve all my problems. If they kind of look back and say to themselves, I need to try to do this because what happens if this money is gone? Like people can spend it all in a second or they can lose it all in a second. What do they have to fall back on? And that's where they kind of need to have that mindset is what happens if this happens? And, but they're not going to think of nowadays because they're going to think, well, money just grows on trees, which we all know that's not true. You have to work hard to earn it. When you're growing up, what was that dream job that you I honestly didn't have one. I didn't, I, I was growing up as, as a kid. I didn't actually know what I wanted to be. I didn't know. I wasn't fantastic academically. Um, and and uh, maybe I was a typical boy where I got to, I got to sort of 15, 16. I got some qualifications, but I, I still didn't really know what I wanted to be. I was offered a, a job as an assistant professional golfer, but I didn't want to do that because if I was going to be a golfer, I wanted to be a really good professional golfer. And I was, ne I was never going to be that. I wasn't good enough to take that next step. So I didn't want to do that. And I just really didn't. I couldn't. For me, I was really struggling to find what I was good at. Um, so I had a few jobs. Um, I actually uh, worked in a bank. Didn't like that. I then became a policeman actually really enjoyed that but I was in a massive accident which ended up breaking my back and medically discharging me from that but then I did find through that that I was actually really good with people that I really enjoyed being with people helping people 
Um, I just liked people and I had good skill sets with people. And that's when I actually became a salesperson in a number of companies and was really, really successful. And then throughout my career, and what I really enjoyed is I became a, a manager and senior manager. And, and as I kept moving up, kept moving up and up in my career progression, I used to love helping other people get better and better so they could keep being promoted and they could get more money and they could be happy. And for me, that's what I really enjoyed. So it wasn't as a kid I found what I liked. It was later on in life, all of a sudden I fell into something. It's like, wow, I really enjoy this role of helping other people and seeing them improve their lives and realize they're better than they are. And, and I used to love taking over teams which probably weren't doing very well and their morale was a little bit low. And then within maybe six months to a year, all of a sudden they're one of the top teams and their heads are held high. They feel fantastic. They've been promoted. You know, for me, that was just such a pleasure. And I, I love that. I really, really get a big, big boost from being able to help improve other people's lives if I possibly can. I love that. Throughout your careers that you talked about, what was a big challenge that you faced and that you were able to overcome? Um, well, I had a number of, number of issues. Um, when, I, when I first got into the career I wanted to get into, you actually had to have a degree. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have a degree. <laughs> so I used to have to sit on the phone making phone calls, being told no all the time because I didn't have a degree. Until, and even though I said, yeah, but I've got skill sets, you, you know, to be a salesperson, I don't need a degree. I've, I've got really good skills, you know, people skills. Um, I must have made, I don't know, about 100 phone calls until eventually someone took me on um, and I excelled at that job. And then I moved to another job and then to another job. Um, but I suppose one of the skill sets was uh, later on as I moved up the career when um, a couple, well, I lost my job. The, the company I was working for was actually taken over. Mm. Um, so then all of a sudden you've got to go home to your wife and say, look, I've got no job. And, you know, and things were tough at the time. I think that was when there was the, the, there was a big recession as well. Lots of things were going on. And it was just another case of, you know, sitting on that phone, making phone calls, trying to, trying to get another job. Um, so I experienced that as well. And that must have taken me weeks and weeks and weeks of just sitting in my office, just calling and calling and calling and calling until I got, got another job and moved on. And that actually turned out to be probably the, one of the best things that actually ever happened to me um, because I then moved on to a career that I absolutely loved and, and I absolutely thrived at. So actually losing my job, although it felt, you know, God, my life's over at this very moment in time, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. So it was turning a real huge negative impact on my life where I'm newly married, you know, new house, new mortgage, all the bills. And it's like, oh my God, I've lost everything. It's like, what am I going to do? So right, I've got to fight for this. I've really got to do something. And we're in a recession. Oh my God, what am I going to do? To then getting into a position where it was like, wow. And I never looked back. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. So it was turning that negative into a real positive. And I think sometimes to people, you have to, you have to say that. I know it's awful. I've experienced job loss. So if someone says, I've lost my job, what am I going to do? I've been there. I know how awful it is. It's horrible. But you've got to fight. There'll be someone out there if you keep fighting. And then it'll probably be the best. We hear this all the time, don't we? If only I'd have done this years ago. Mm -hmm. If only I'd have done this. 
<laughs> and then sometimes it takes something huge like you know losing your job to actually then make that move to find something better which you could have actually done years ago when you look back at it you go i could have done this years ago why didn't i because we get complacent in what we're doing and we're comfortable and you stop pushing yourself you're pushing but maybe you're well actually i'd like to get to that level but i'm really comfortable where i am at the moment the bills are paid the mortgage is paid everything's good and to get to that next level sometimes is a bit frightening. So, um, yeah, that's that was probably one of the biggest challenges for me, um, work-wise. Looking back when you had the rejection because you didn't have that degree, did you kind of regret not having that degree or maybe pursuing for it? No, it's um, I, I, I kept asking, why do I need a degree to be a salesperson? I'm not going to become a doctor or an accountant or a lawyer. So why do I need it? And they kept coming up with reasons. And I'm like, well, these are just ridiculous reasons. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> they're just ridiculous. So what I went for, um, as I said, I've, I found a, a company that I actually spoke to the, the sales director at the time and I sold myself on the phone to him. And he just said, look, really, normally we need a degree, but I want to see you. I'm really impressed on what you said and what, and, you know, and how you sound. I'd like us to meet. Um, and obviously we know you know, it's human nature, first impressions when you walk into a room as well, when you first see someone, don't you? It's, it's uh, That sells you in the first three seconds. Yep. So I've done the hard thing, I thought, was on the phone, because that's really hard, you know, trying to sell yourself in just a couple of minutes to, to get a job interview. Um, but for that job interview, you know, new haircut, brand new suit, brand new shoes, really try to look in the park, walks in, great big smiles, firm handshake, you know, my... Every, all my information in a nice file. You know, I tried to make everything as professional and look as good as I possibly could. Um, because we know it, within the first three to five seconds, the looks of somebody, when you're going in for maybe a particular job, um, where you've got to represent that company and look good to represent that company, which is what I was doing. So that's what I thought of before. So before I went for the interview, it was like, okay, so if I'm now gonna go and represent this company and I'm gonna go and see customers, what do I need to look like? How do I need to look? So I'm going to need to look professional. So I need a good haircut. You know, I need a good shave. I need to look, I need a nice smile. So I was, I was trying to put myself, I was trying to answer all the questions before I got them. And with the interview as well, I was going through, well, what questions are they going to ask me? Because it's all going to be about my education. Why didn't I get a degree? What can I bring to the table? Why am I going to be better than someone else without a degree? So I went through all the questions I thought they could possibly throw at me. And I was there ready prepared with them. And then I went into the interview feeling really confident. And before the interview as well, before every interview I've ever had, and I always say this to everybody, prepare yourself mentally. Before you go in, say, I am a fantastic person. I'm an incredible person. I'm going to have an amazing interview. I'm going to do a great job. You know, all of this positivity, just fill yourself up with it. Walk in with a great big smile, head held high, look good. And straight away, the other person on the other side of you will look, look at you, smile, relax. And that's, that's the hardest bit done. As soon as they smile, relax, and relax in the chair, you're, you're virtually there. It, you know, it, that, that's what you need to do. And because you're full of positivity, you're giving positivity to that person. Because I would always say, say um, whoever, whatever their name was, they're going to love me. They're going to think I'm great. They're going to think I'm fantastic. So immediately, I'm radiating all those thoughts straight back to that person. And that's what they're gonna be thinking because that's what I'm thinking. So all my positivity is going off to them, hitting on them and coming back. Um, 
And that's what that, that's that's what I've always done in my career going forward. And that's what I try and do if I'm if I'm going out now, if I'm going out meeting a new circle of people. I always sort of, you know, push positivity on my side because I don't want to walk into a room and look miserable and horrible. No one wants to come and speak to me. So it's about being up, upbeat, happy, positive, and uh, yeah, going forward, you can use it in everyday life, can't you? I totally agree with that. Talk about the year 2008 and about the story that um, you went through. Okay, well, um, we'd retired to um, France. Uh, I'd been previously diagnosed with an incurable disease. I was told that I was going to uh, probably end up in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. And I went to see a couple of surgeons who said, there's nothing we can do for you. Um, basically, I had a late end stage ankylosing spondylitis. My spine was bending and bending and bending and, and had gone like a bamboo. And the doctors never really noticed it because I was such a big guy where I'd been doing bodybuilding. And when I used to see the doctors, they used to say, well, you've got a bad back, stop lifting weights. And that was it. But for about a three or four week period, I'd noticed that my back got worse and worse and I was in bed in excruciating pain and I just felt all bent over. So basically to, to, to cut that story short, um, I, I met a surgeon who said, I can't cure you, but I can break your back, straighten you up, um, but I may kill you. So I suggest that you make a video for your son just in case you, never, in case you don't survive. That was the first part. So that was the part before 2008. That was five years before 2008, before my massive accident. So I had that to get through. First of all, I had two enormous surgeries. My back was broken, metal rods inserted. Had to learn to walk again as well. Um, yeah, massive toll on my body. Got back to work, you know, really went for it again. And then all of a sudden I had to, had to medically retire because I had a second operation which didn't go as well and I decided that's it. I'm, I'm okay financially, I'm calling it a day. I want to enjoy my life, have a great time with my son, my wife, live life, enjoy it to the full. I'm financially we're fine, we're, we're able to do that. So we moved to France, bought a 500 year old chateau, we're, was having it restored, rebuilt. And then one day my son and I were, were sitting on the steps watching a huge electrical storm where, because we lived right in the middle of a forest um, and uh, lightning was actually, it was all around us and it was hitting the ground. We were actually watching it hit the ground. It was incredible. Never seen anything like it. Um, wasn't any rain, which was bizarre. It was just all this lightning was, was coming down everywhere. And we, we actually watched it strike a, a tree, a really old tree that was in one of our fields and it actually cut through it. And we hit it, it was like a massive explosion. It's something like you see in a film. You know, when you see in a film, like a bolt of lightning hits something, it's just this huge explosion. That's what it was like. So the next day I actually walked out to this tree to go and have a look at it. And as I was walking to it, it was creaking and cracking. It was a big old oak tree, but been dead, dead, dead for years. Creaking and cracking. And I thought, I must get this cut down before it falls down and hits someone. And literally, as I said that to myself, the next thing it actually came down on top of me, smashed me into the ground. Um, it was instant, just completely instant. And I was smashed into the ground like a puppet, you know, just smashed down, head down into the ground, my arms outstretched in like a cross position. Um, and I was lying there and builders, the builders that had been working on, on, my, um, on my house came running over and I had blood pouring down my face. And I said to them, you know, can you, can you get the tree off me? I can't move. And they said, look, the, the tree's not on you. And with that instantly, I said, I'm paralyzed. I can't move. And it wasn't just, 
And the thoughts that went through my head were, if I'm paralyzed from the waist down, I can cope. I'll be fine. It won't be an issue. If it's from the neck down, I don't know. And that's what I was thinking. But I just kept saying to myself, but listen, it's not going to be a problem. This will be fine. But I had enormous pain from my neck upwards, but nothing from, from nothing from below. And it's a really hard feeling to describe because it's not like you're numb. You know, like when you've got a numb eye, it's nothing. I mean, there's just nothing. There's just nothing at all. I couldn't feel my legs, couldn't, there was just nothing. It's just so bizarre to try and explain to someone. Um, and really to, to cut a long story short, the, the air ambulance arrived, flew me to hospital. The doctors said to my wife, look, his injuries are so severe. Um, he's probably not going to survive the night. Um, you know, so, you know, get all your affairs in order. He's, he's probably not going to make it. Um, and then the next, the next day I did actually wake up in hospital in the intensive care unit. And the doctor said to me, like, I'm really sorry, there's, there's nothing we can do for you, but you're paralyzed from the neck down. Um, you're never going to move or walk again. Um, to which I started shouting and screaming, yes, I will. Uh, you don't know what you're talking about. You French are all the same because I'm, you know, because English and French, we've got a, a thing between us, a love-hate relationship. So I was screaming and shouting and bloody French, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And... Uh, I did that for, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes. The nurses came over and comforted me and said, look, it's normal. Don't worry about it. I apologized. Then I broke down and cried. And then I just said, look, you, you, you've got this wrong. I'm going to recover. And that was it. From that moment on, I just said, I will recover from this. Not an issue. But from that moment on, for months and months after, every single doctor kept telling me, you have to accept you will never move again. And I just kept saying, you have to accept, you don't know what you're talking about, and I will. And that's what I did for months and months and months. And then they, uh, they moved me to a rehab center where there was a crane above my bed so they could move me and, and, and you know, bathe me. Because I had to have three nurses had to take care of me at once, all day long. And they said, this is what your life's going to be now for the rest of your life. And uh, I said to the rehab doctor, I'm going to recover from this. And... And he said, but you, but you can't, it's impossible. You haven't severed your spinal cord, but I destroyed uh, two vertebrae. I'd completely destroyed two vertebrae. And my spinal cord was crushed like a banana. Do you know like when you smash a banana, it was crushed and a spinal cord, cord can't recover. So they said, you know, that's it. You might, get a, you might get a bit of movement back in a finger or an arm. You might get some little movement back, but you'll never be able to take care of yourself again. And I said to my son, don't listen to them, I'll be home for Christmas. And I had this positive mindset all the time, the whole time. And the only time I was, I've, was negative was when after three months, I hadn't seen another patient in this rehab center. They wheeled me into the canteen. And in this canteen, there were 100 other patients in wheelchairs or missing arms or legs. That's the type of place I was in. And immediately I broke down and cried and just thought, I'm in trouble. I don't want to be one of these people and I'm in serious, serious trouble. And a guy called Matthew put his arm around me. It had been in a huge accident, was in a wheelchair. Only, his, only one arm worked, uh, the side of his mouth, his sort of face was locked. And he said, don't worry, this is normal. And, uh, and I thought, yeah, it, isn't, it might be normal for you guys, but not for me, I'm getting out of here. And from that point on, um, that's where I used the power of my mind. You, you talked about golf and body boat building. You know, I then used the power of my mind through through that to visualize moving, walking and, and everything again until eventually 
Um, I did. I imagine I was playing golf with Tiger Woods, by the way. That's what I used to lie and visualize every every day. I've just watched his life story, actually. And even his dad said to him at a young age, you can achieve anything you want in life. And he pushed him as well. And look at him. So, But I used to imagine playing golf. That was playing golf against him, lifting weights, um, visualizing the whole time until I started having out-of-body experiences, um, which I've described in my book, you know, where I, where I went through these out-of-body experiences, actually left my body. First time I thought I'd died, and uh, it was very, very peaceful. And then I used to get to a stage where I'd be leaving my body all the time, um, going back and seeing my son playing football, and I'd be lifting weights, playing golf, all, all types of things, just, just because I've got no computer, no phone. You've got to use something. I was using my, my, using my brain to learn to, to move again until one day um, I actually did stand up out of my wheelchair and I did start walking again. I walked back in to see the surgeon that operated on me who just collapsed in his chair and went, this is impossible. You're a miracle. This just is not possible. Um, and then I kept, kept moving and moving and walking and walking. And then unfortunately for, for me, um, one day my wife just said, that's it. We're over. You can't be a real man again. You can't be a real father. You're never going to see your son again. You're never going to see me again. It'd be best if you were dead. Please die. Um, and that was it. So I went back to the hospital. And this is after months and months. I've learned to walk again. You know, not brilliantly, but I'm, I'm making a recovery. This was just after Christmas. I sat on my hospital bed and I just went, well, what's the point? There's no point living anymore. It's time to die. Uh, tonight I'm going to die. Just call it a day. And the next morning, double pneumonia. So my body had listened to me to tell me, okay, it's time for you to die. So again, isn't that amazing how powerful the brain is? When I was, when everyone else around me was saying, you're never going to move or walk again. And I kept saying, yes, I am. And I went for it and I visualized and, you know, I imagine I was lifting weights and playing golf with Tiger Woods and doing all of these bizarre things. But I'm like, I will, I will, I will, I will. You're all wrong. Forget it. I'm going to do this. I can do this. Positive the whole time. That one moment, as soon as I said, that's it, it's over, my body went, okay, then. That's how powerful your mind is. That's, that's, that's how powerful it is. And I was then in a, in a special center for three weeks um, because I didn't want to live. And they were trying to bring me back to life. I was just, I was just dying. Um, until all of a sudden... A little voice just went off in my ear and said, you've got to live. You can't give up on your son. You've got to live. You've got to fight. You've got to get your son back in your life. This is ridiculous. What are you doing? And immediately I just went, okay, time to live and time to fight again. And that was it. Brought myself back to life. Um, I was in France in a hospital, no family, no friends. My wife had gone, didn't know where my son was. Um, so I just went, that's it. I'm out of here. Discharged myself. Had to call my mum back up. Mum, I've got to come and live back with you. I can't walk very well. My arms don't work. And uh, I've got to be fed through a tube in my stomach. To which she said, no problem. You know, over you come. And uh, I had to go and live back with her for years um, until I could actually get back into... I, I got down into a swimming pool, um, which was local, and I taught myself to walk and move again and completely recovered. And, and that's what I did. And I got my son back in my life. I re rebuilt my life. Recently, I went back to the rehab centre in France to see the rehab doctor that took care of me. He couldn't believe it. He just thought I looked absolutely incredible and fantastic. And he was saying, look, from the injuries you had, we just said there's no chance you're ever going to move again. And look at you, you proved us all wrong. 
so he was just amazed and he, he just went, I'm so pleased. And I went, yeah, but you know, you helped save my life as well because you kept saying no and I kept saying yes. So you saved my life by keep saying no. <laughs> so, so, so that was great. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's where I moved on with my life. Um, got my life back on track and then traveled the world for the next few years because I decided, you know, all these things I'd put off, all these things when you're fit and healthy that you always say, don't we? Always say, I'll do it next year. I'll yeah. do it next year. Let's do that next year. Oh, we'll, you know, we'll take that trip next year. Let's put it off till next year. I'm telling everyone right here and there, if you've got your health, don't put off anything because anything can happen to you, you know, overnight. And it's not until you lose your health that you go, I had all that money, I had, I had, you know, I had all that money. I could virtually buy anything I wanted, do anything I wanted, but I never did because I always put it off till the next year. And then when I didn't have my health, I went, why didn't I do, why didn't I go there? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I, you know, all those things. So don't put them off. And do you know what my number one thing I wanted to see again? My number one thing, as soon as I could walk, I wanted to go to the ocean and I wanted to see a sunset. That's what I wanted to see. And I now live on the sea and I see the sunset every day. How strong is your bond with your son now from going through that experience when maybe he was younger? Uh, it's incredible. It's, it's a really, really strong bond. A strong bond. It's, um, he's very independent. He's obviously very intelligent, unlike myself. Um, he's doing extremely well, but we've got obviously a really good father-son relationship, um, but we've also got like a best, fr best friend relationship as well because um, he's nearly 19 now. And if, he's, if he is struggling or something, he doesn't tell me. He, he, he finds solutions himself. He'll actually ring me or call me, FaceTime me or send me messages going, telling me, Dad, just to let you know, was we'll face this today, did this, achieve that. You know, it's it's that constantly. Um, but he still lives he still lives in France. That's where he's training to be a doctor. I was gonna move back to France and he said, No, I don't want you to, because if you do, I'll never see you because I'm studying, you know, 12, 14, 15 hours a day. Um, and what I prefer you to do is stay where you are because it, it's hot and it's good for your health. And then in every school holiday, I can come and be with you and we can spend good quality time together and we travel. That's what we did. So every time he came to us, we went around the world together. So we traveled together. He, he became my carer, if you like. He took care of me. So <laughs> it's terrible. It's like, Dad, watch your step. Dad, you can't do this. Dad, you can't do that. You know, all these sorts of things. Only because obviously my health was still really was really weak when I was recovering. And there were lots of things that I really couldn't do and shouldn't have been doing, but I was trying to force myself to, because obviously I'm a dad trying to, you know, I'm, I'm your dad. I can, I'm, you know, I can do these things. Um, but he, out on there is, it's incredible. It's really, really strong. And, he, and it was down to him. He said to his mum, no, I want my dad back in my life. It's, it's got nothing to do with you. He actually fought back against her. So, um, you know, I said to him that day, I promise you I will walk again. And I kept that promise. And every promise I've ever made him, I've kept. And the same back. So so that's it. So we have really good conversations on Skype um, or Skype, you know, FaceTime, whatever we're doing. Um, when we meet, it's fantastic. He's 19 now. I still go to give him a hug. 
no kiss, but he now pushes me away going, get off, Dad. I'm too old for that. What are you doing? Um, you know, that type of thing. And I said to him, well, tough. You're my, you're my little boy. You always will be. And I'm always going to give you a hug. So, um, so that's it. But he's actually said the reason he's becoming a doctor is because of my illnesses. Because when I, when I had my first back operations, where I had my back broken and straightened up, he used to bathe my legs. He was only young, so he'd wipe my legs down and help wash me and clean me. Then when I was in hospital, he'd push my wheelchair around the hospital and he'd speak to the doctors and tell them, you know, you've got to get my dad better. And he'd spend time in hospitals. And then he just decided, I'm going to be a doctor. And that's it. So he now, he, he, he's got that bug. He wants to be a doctor. He wants to take care of people. But that's what he said. My accident has, has inspired him to become a doctor. And it's, he's so passionate about it. It's, well, it's not just becoming a, you know, not when you asked me earlier, what did I want to do? Didn't have a clue. He knew literally from the age of six or seven, I'm going to become a doctor. And that's what he's told me since that age. And that's what he's now training to do. Um, so he knew from an early age on, unfortunately, it was my accident that pushed him in that direction. But uh, yes, yeah, so I'm incredibly proud of him. He's, he's doing, he's turning into a great man, doing really well. And uh, I hope he keeps pushing to other people as well, saying that anything is possible. You, but you've got to work for it. You've got to use the power of your mind. And um, in one exam, for example, he I think he finished, I don't know, 14th or 15th out of a 1,000 people. And I just jokingly went, what do you mean? You weren't number one. Um, and he went, no, but I will be next time. And uh, and guess what? The next exam, he was number one. Wow. That was it. <laughs> so, so, yeah, because as he said, I've just got to work harder. I've got to push myself. I've got to push myself. And he wanted to achieve it. So, um yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of him. And the, and the bond is, is fantastic, really good. I think something you mentioned earlier that kind of hits hard to a lot of fathers is when your wife told you that you're not going to be able to take care of your son, you're not going to have him. That probably would hit a lot of fathers because they want to be in their, their son's and daughter's lives. Do you still have that contact for your son with her or is it kind of like you have the only contact you have is with your son in that kind of relationship no when when he was growing up i only had contact with her through email because you've got to remember for two or three years she kept sending me text messages saying please die it'd be better if you were dead and you know and then divorced me and all of that so that that was pretty hard to, to get over and i felt you know betrayed and deserted and you know let down you know, but I had to put that behind me. Um, and that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. I actually wrote it as therapy because I didn't actually intend to release it. It's just, I wrote it purely as therapy to help me move on with my life. And my friends and family that read it went, wow, this is just incredible. You should, you know, just make it available. And people that have read it have actually said it's the most inspirational book they've ever read in their lives. And I've been contacted by people that actually gone on and done amazing things with life. One, one young guy contacted me to say that he was in such a terrible place at the time. He heard a podcast, heard my story, got the book, then went and set up his own business, and then four years later sold it for millions of dollars, and he now travels the world. And he said, that's all down to you. He said, because I just changed my mindset. I heard your story and changed my mindset, because I lay it all out in the book exactly you know, what I did. And what I did in, in my story, anyone can do. It's, it's not rocket science, but you've just got to be determined to do something. So, so, so yeah, I mean, it's oh, possibilities are endless. If you, if you want to do anything in your life, they really are. I mean, I know 
lots of us are limited, can be limited with certain things, but there's so much we can achieve and we have so much potential if we really put our minds to it. And that's what, I, that's what I'm really passionate um, about telling people. And now, Alex, I completely forgot the question you asked me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it was about like how at the time, and you mentioned, you kind of answered it, where your wife told you you're never going to oh, get yeah. in contact with your son again. But are you able to show her like, look what I've been, I, look what I did? No, what, what I did was suppose I had to keep in contact her through through email just for for James because he was only young, you know, he's six years six years old, um, and I was paying for his school and maintenance, you know, all, all of that stuff. Um, and then eventually getting to see him, so it was contact through email. That was it. Um, and then as he got older, um, I, I don't hold anything against her now. After the years went on, it's, I, don't, I don't hold anything against her. She did what she did, and that's it. She's got to live with it. Um, but we don't we don't talk. Well, the only thing we've we've by email is or or maybe a text is if she's letting me know something that my son, you know, if, if what he needs, what is it he actually needs, or he's done this, or you know, something about 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 him. It's always about my son. That's it. That's the only thing we 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 ever contact. I haven't told her how I've got on. Um, no, I mean I, I don't think my son tells her either. If when he used to come and see me, he used to say mum's not letting me do this and she's not letting me do that. And I used to say to me, yeah, but I agree with her because he was trying to play us off one against the other. Yeah. And I wasn't having that. So I used to say, no, well, I agree with her. Sorry, I'm on her side. Um, and I would, was conscious that I would never, ever put her down, ever. So I never said anything bad about her. Um, I didn't want any, I just didn't want that. I thought, well, there's no point. He's only a kid. He doesn't need, doesn't need all of that on his, you know, doesn't need that on his mind as well. So, um, so yeah, so no, we, we, we don't have contact. Um, we haven't spoken, but no, that, that's it. It's just purely email. But now, he, I mean, he's 19 now. There's, there's no more contact with her at all. So what does the future look like for you personally and professionally? What do you want to hope to accomplish in the next few years? Well, I've just taught myself how to trade, become a currency trader. Okay. So, so that's really good. So I now want to, I really want to take that on. And it's, it's taken me or about a year to, to really learn it and go for it. So I'm, I'm enjoying that um, because I want to keep my brain active. So I always think it's really important. You've got to do something to keep your brain working and firing on all cylinders. So I've done that. I've taught myself how to do it and I'm now doing trading. So I want to become really successful at that. Um, and then I would like to teach other people how to do it as well. Um, so they can become their own boss and not not worry about you know financial burdens because it is great. We've got our own. Um, I launched a, a few years ago a supplement range. Um, it's uh, stillspirit.com is where we we put the uh, the supplements, um, and I actually launched them for me. I didn't actually launch them for anybody else because when I was in hospital, everybody's immune systems are really low and they kept getting ill and I kept getting ill. So when I came out of hospital, I looked at, well, how can I actually boost my immune system and keep strong, which is obviously uh, quite relevant in today's world, isn't it, with everything that's going on about immune systems. But I did this, you know, 10, 12 years ago, whenever it was. Um, and I brought out just a range of supplements that were looked at just boosting your immune system, keeping you fit and strong to stop you getting viruses and infections, uh, to help boost you and to help boost my joints, because obviously my joints were, weren't very good. Um, so it was just a small niche range, if you like, which which uh, went from strength to strength. 
So, so that's really cool. Um, uh, that's still going. That's still that's still going really strong. What else have we got? Um, just recently launched um, a company called Mel's um, Mel's Premium. Um, Mel'spremium.com, and what we've done is we're the first in the world. We've actually um, produced CBD oils, but made from up to five different um, strains of cannabis. So rather than just being made from one, which CBD oils are normally made from. We've got a different range. One's made with two, one's made with four strains, one's made with five different strains, getting all the different um, goodness of all the different plants. And we actually, it's, the reason ours is different, it's completely raw. So our oil is completely raw. It's as if you've actually squeezed the plants into the bottle themselves. So it's really thick, full of terpenes, flavonoids, full of all the goodness. Again, I brought that out for me um, originally because dealing with pain, because obviously I'm in pain all day, every day. Um, 365 days a year, I suffer with nerve pain and muscle pain. Um, so I looked into that and looked at all the products on the market and went, yeah, they all seem okay, but I'm sure I could do better. Um, really researched it. And then, yes, we launched a range where people have just gone, wow, this has just completely changed our lives. It's just absolutely incredible um, because the, the range we do is, is just amazing. We're launching more and more. Pro I'm just actually launching one now for the brain as well. <laughs> it's a it's a really powerful one it's um it's going to have cbg cbc and cbd and um, most products just have cbg and that's it so this one's really really powerful for the brain um which i need to take obviously as, as you get older um i've also got the pain ones yeah it's, uh, so I'm, I'm excited about that because i'm bringing it's an organic product made for but made on an eco-friendly um certified farm all the cannabis plants are made there as i say up to five different different uh, species make the products it's a, a newish company it's been going probably about six to nine months um it's just take it's really taken off the people that have used it they've sent back going you know you've you've cured us or you've you've really improved my life that's great so i've got that going on as well so it's the trading it's the cbd oils it's the supplements to boost people i'm doing all of that because I'm trying to, as well as help myself, because I look at me as a guinea pig. If it helps me, it will help everybody else. If I can help anybody else that's in pain or suffering, for me, I get a really big buzz from that as well. That's great. And then once all of this in the world settles down with what's happening at the moment, um, I intend to, to travel the world. That's what I'm now going to do for the rest of my life once once all this settles down. So, uh, But as you can see, I, I sort of get really passionate and excited about things that I'm doing because I... I I'm doing things that I really enjoy. That's that's the difference. Um, I'm doing things I enjoy and I'm doing things that I know that help other people, which is where I think we came from at the beginning. I found at a, a later on in age, like around 20, that's what I was good at and I enjoy helping other people. And I, I love hearing from people. If my books help them, my stories help them, my products help them, I get a massive buzz for that. And I just feel really good. I just think I'm maybe my accident happened for a reason. Maybe my accident happened so I could help inspire other people to improve their lives, which also then forced me to bring out products to actually take care of me, which I then go to other people to help them. Maybe this has all been for a reason. Um, and uh, that's, that's, that's the sort of way I, I look at it now. And I just use it as a positive. So, yes, I'm in pain seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I'm in a lot of pain. I have to put it to the back of my mind and just get on with life. And that's what I do with any challenge that I'm facing, whether it's with a new business or personal, I just have to take a step back, deep breath and say, okay, let me overcome this. Let me find a solution and I'm going to beat it. And that's how I, 
that's how I deal with my life. Um, and one thing I've got to say is before I go to bed every night as well, I always, always, always do my own little self-meditation saying that I'm a good man, great father. I want to be a better man, a better father, bring the good people to, you know, bring good people to me. It's amazing. You do all this positive stuff before you go to bed. And I believe it goes into your subconscious. And when you wake up, the opportunities to, for us to do something are around us all day long. The opportunities for every one of us, they're, 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 it might be the person standing next to you, or it could be something you read in a newspaper. It could be something. But if you haven't programmed your brain to look for that opportunity, you're not going to grab it. And that's what I believe. So that's why, that's why I program my brain to bring me people or opportunities that I need to help me with my life. And then when I see them, I see them as an opportunity and I grab them rather than just letting them go. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they kind of create a product where it helps them. And then they kind of realize that maybe this can help other people or they do the research and it helps other people. And I think that's what you've done is you've created a product where it helps you, but you're wanting to help other people. And that's what shows the passion that you have and the whole experience that you're going through. The final question I'll ask you is based on your journey, and for someone that's listening to this interview, what tips or advice would you give someone to overcome their challenges, accomplish their goals, and rise to their challenge? Okay. One thing I would say is, um, I think we've already discussed this, um, actually write, write down what it is you actually want to accomplish. What it is you actually want to do. Don't think about it, actually just write it down. Just open up a notepad and write it down. And write down why is it you want to achieve it. Why do you actually, because what you're thinking you want to achieve, maybe it's not actually the right thing you think you want to achieve. So write down what it is you want to achieve and why. What benefits will it give to you and how will it help the people around you? So maybe your friends and family. So if you're, you know, if, if, uh, if you want to become this, get this job or become this type of person, why? And how is it going to benefit you? Is it going to improve you as a person? Ask lots of questions to actually determine, number one, is this really what you want? Because that's, there's no point saying, I want to achieve something if it isn't really what you want. Now, fair enough, I wanted to learn to walk again. That was my, that was my pure motivation. I wanted to walk again. Um, so you have to ask those questions and just write it down and write all those questions down. Number two, I would then say, research what it is you want to achieve and why, and look at the other people that have actually achieved it. And then ask for help if we said, if, you've, if you know someone or there's somebody out there, just ask them, you know, what's the worst they're going to say? No. Then find somebody else. If they're not prepared to help you, don't worry about it. Find somebody else. There's always someone like myself who loves talking, who will always sit down and say, look, yeah, let me give you some advice or try and help you. There's always someone, I promise you, there always is. Then I would always say all those people that keep saying to you, no, forget them, just get rid of them. You don't want people in your life. If they're saying, no, you can't achieve something, get them out of your life. They're not worth having in your life. I'm sorry. Even if it was a close friend, goodbye. It's as simple as that. You don't need, you don't need anyone in your life that keeps telling you that you're a failure. You can't achieve something. Get them out of your life. Move, move on. Associate with people that are positive people, that are achieving something in, in life, that are like-minded people that do want to achieve, maybe are entrepreneurs or or are facing the same challenges you're facing, 
I mean, how many, now that you've got um, the internet out there, how many self-help groups are there out there if you're facing a challenge where you can go and actually speak with another, another group? For example, I have um, ankylosing spondylitis. I belong to an ankylosing spondylitis group because people in that group are always asking questions. Does anyone deal with this? How do you deal with this problem? How? We talk. <laughs> and somebody will have the answer to your question. So there's all these, you know, there's these self-help groups. Find these people, they're out there. Um, but the main thing is you've really got to want it. You've really, really got to want it and desire it and need it. And you're going to have to work at it. Because if you think about it, it won't come to you. There's no, you can't just think about it. You actually have to get off and you have to do something. So set a plan up. Just write down a plan and then set yourself goals every day. It doesn't matter how small they are. Even if it's today, I'm going to make a phone call to this person to ask them for help. Even if that's just your goal for the day, do it. If your goal is, well, I'm going to find a self-help group to do this and join it. Great. That's your goal for the day, but set a goal every single day. And at the end of every single day, I would personally write down five things that you've accomplished that day. Positive things, not negative. What five things have you, have you accomplished that day that have helped you move forward towards your goal? What have you done? It can be really small things. It doesn't have to be massive milestone movements because you'll find that as you start doing this each day, you're getting closer to your journey to overcoming your challenge or your solution. Um, so do that as well. And then always, personally, I would suggest before you do go to bed, make sure your lights are off, your TVs are, TVs off. Oh, stop watching the news, number one. Get rid of social media, number two. Stop watching it. anything that's negative. Get rid of it out of your life. Um, and when you go to bed, this is what I did when I was in hospital, and I still do now. I watch a comedy show before I go to sleep to make sure that I'm laughing and happy before I go to sleep. Um, doesn't matter what it is, just as long as it makes you laugh. And I'm therefore, I'm laughing before I go to sleep, so I'm happy. My brain's in a positive mood. All the endorphins, everything's positive. And I then go to sleep with a smile on my face saying, I'm a good man. I'm a good person. I want to be a better man. I want to be a better father. I've got to look for opportunities. I am going to achieve. I am going to do this. I will. I can. I will. Everything's I will. I can. I will. I can. And then I'm going to sleep with a big smile on my face. It's subconsciously my brain's laughing and I've just told it that I can achieve anything. And that's it. And that's what I do. Those are just simple little things. And um, all of that's in my book as well. Everything that I did is, is actually everything I did is actually in the book, explaining the book. Um, so yeah, just those are just little things that I use and they've worked fantastically for me. Well, Nicholas, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. We all have learned so much about you and can take a lot of your advice to help pursue our dreams and rise to our challenge. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you.